0: You're listening to the Creating a Brand Podcast. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about de-risking the move to self-employment. This is a relevant topic for entrepreneurs. Many of us desire to move away from a traditional job into self-employment. However, the risks involved have held us back. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to de-risk Making this move or shift to self employment. My guest today is the vice president of FreshBooks, Matt Baker. FreshBooks is an all in one business invoicing and accounting software, and Matt shares some of FreshBooks' data with us about how to successfully move to self employment. Throughout this episode, Matt talks about the barriers or common risk that hold people back from making this switch, also financial disciplines that we need for de risking, and some of the practical ways to de risk and make that big move to self employment less scary. I believe you're going to learn a lot from this episode, so let's not wait any longer. Here is my conversation with Matt Baker. Matt, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited about today's conversation because we're going to be talking about a topic that I believe is very relevant to all of us here at Creating a Brand. Many of our listeners have a traditional nine to five job, although many of them can see themselves moving to self-employment. So I believe this conversation today is going to bring a lot of clarity as how to maybe de-risk that in our minds and also physically be able to de-risk it as well. Sounds great. So I recently read an article that you published where you talked about how 24 million Americans want to quit their jobs and become self-employed. Can you talk to us about that a little bit before we really get into some of the, the things that are holding people back and de-risking it?
1: Yes, I'd love to. I work at FreshBooks and once a year we do um, what we call our large annual sur- report or our annual survey um, and, and we go out into the market and uh, do a quantitative survey to, to ask a bunch of questions. And, you know, it varies depending on each year, what, what are the themes that we want to ask, but, but we do, we, we survey both people who have traditional nine to five jobs and people who are self employed. Um, and we, we try to get into their, their mindsets a bit. And one of the things we generally ask if you have a regular job or a traditional job is, um, you know, are you looking to become self-employed? And it's not so much of, you know, do I just wish I didn't have a boss and I'd rather work for myself? Um, you know, <laughs> we might get 99% right. <laughs> of people saying that, um, yeah. but, but it's meant to measure more of intent. Like, do, you know, do you intend to, to become self-employed or, um, you know, to build your own business? You know, it's really trying to get out of intent and that's the the part where if you, if you look at the results and, um, and you extrapolate out across the country, uh, it's you know, more than 20 million people that are really wanting to, to make that leap. And, you know, it's interesting. And so then we try to follow down the path of, okay, um, if that's such a thing, you know, why, uh, and partly, you know, we go in with some hypotheses, you know, one of my hypotheses going in is that sort of, uh, career dream, so to speak, is no longer climbing a corporate ladder, but instead Mm -hmm. it's uh, working for yourself building something yourself and, you know, having that control over it and things like that. So those are the kinds of things we try to explore and understand. And, and certainly what we found, um, when we asked people, why do they want to work for themselves? Um, it comes back to control in a number of ways. And so then we start to say, okay, well, you know, obviously it's this, this idea of you want control over your career. Um, so what does that mean to you? You know, and it's interesting. I think the biggest thing that we hear is freedom to choose when to work. Uh, so it's this idea specifically, the reason we call it a nine to five job is there's this idea that you got to have your, you know, your butt in the seat from nine to five, <laughs> right? Um, yep. you know, in in, in, in a lot of employers aren't that strict to be, a, to be fair, but at the same time there comes peer pressure and there becomes a lot of norms that exist in an office. And so if you're, You know the person strolling in uh, half past ten or something like that. Like you know, it it goes you know often seen uh, so to speak. So certainly, you know, the biggest thing we see is that people um, you know want to choose when when to work. People also want to choose how hard they want to work. From talking to people, but also from the study, it's not like people are looking for an easy way out, but they want to choose when to you know double down and when and when to take some time off and just having that. Uh, again, control that, you know, I decide when I'm going to work the weekend or not, or I decide when I'm going to work, you know, outside of, uh, you know, in in the evening or something like that. And so anyhow, it's, you know, back to control. And then some of the others is, um, you know, the choice of which projects to work on. Um, It's a similar way of saying a choice of who you work for, you know, when you're, when you're working for yourself, you know, you still have to serve your clients, but at the same time, you can fire a client if you want to change your business. And so, you know, sometimes again, you know, it's not as though every employer out there just dictates what you got to do, but to a certain extent, you know, you're asked by your boss or you're asked by your company to do something. And you sort of feel like, you, you know, you don't necessarily have this uh, menu of projects that you get to work on. And so once you become self-employed, you can feel like you're back in control of that stuff. Um, other things that we hear is, um, Freedom to choose where to work. So this one's, you know, I mean, obviously, remote work is growing a ton, um, and so at least employers are more open to that. But lots of people who have made the switch to work for themselves, you know, no longer go to an office, or they might go to a shared space, uh, but certainly where they work is uh, back back in their control. And then one other one is just simply ability to manage your own career development, and so you know you can focus on the things that you know most important to you is maybe you know furthering your your skill set or furthering your craft. Um, but effectively it's, you know, it's this idea of putting yourself in the driver's seat is the way that I sort of, you know, right. try to, try to take an analogy away from it. And so, you know, it's not, you know, by and large, by the way, it's not all control. Sometimes people are doing it for financial reasons or family reasons, or they just want to change in, um, uh, the, you know, the type of work that they're doing or, um, you know, anyway, there's, there's lots of things, but, but, um, control comes to the top. And it's such an interesting one because oftentimes, um, you have more control than you realize you know even if you have the nine to five but especially when you work for yourself i mean you have all the control out there and and and, and when i speak to uh, people who, who are self-employed and sometimes they feel beholden to their clients but but still if they take, take a step back they realize you know it's their business they get they get to make the decisions so you know it, it can right. be very very empowering in that in that way and i think that's what ultimately what it feels like that's what people are striving for is just this this career independence this ability to to, to work for themselves has is, is become you know, sort of the new new American dream in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. Now, what I'm about to say may be a little bit of a tangent, but I find that a lot of the traditional jobs are starting to make changes that are more accommodating to people that have an entrepreneurial mind. So it's more attractive for them to stay in jobs as well. And by no means are we talking bad about being self-employed versus being employed by somebody. Both have their pros and cons and benefits. And there's seasons where you might say I'm going to be self-employed for a little bit, and maybe you end up back in a traditional nine to five job. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I do think it's great that the landscape of the idea of a nine to five is changing, because I think it's been a lot healthier for the American people in general. So again, a little bit of a tangent there. But I do think that's really important to note that there there's a win on both sides of these uh, of the coin.
1: Yeah, you know what, if I just I mean, if I just react to that, too, I think you're I think you're 100% right. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a reaction to, you know, the changing demands of the workforce. Um, You know, you see any market, you have to sort of respond to what you know, what your customers, your clients, or your people want. And so I think in a lot of ways, companies are responding to what their employees now value. Um, and, and part of that is, is, is some of those things you mentioned. I mean, I, I, I am uh, surprised um, to see how many companies now are entirely remote um you know everyone works from home or works um you know from from a distributed office you know that's that's happening i mean there's certainly a push and pull by the way i know that i've seen some reports of some companies moving everything back to a centralized work so but Mm -hmm. but this idea to, to your point though but the idea of where to work or setting your own hours um you know there's a big a big trend there and and frankly you know even just the popular apps like uber drivers and things like that is is at the end of the day a lot of the the value that that the drivers would would talk about is the control the ability to um you know they probably wish they could set the price you know that's probably a big a big a big drawback, but they get to control when when they work and for the most part you know how long and where and things like that
0: absolutely. Now, FreshBooks has a lot of data, you guys are a massive company. And because of that, you guys are able to really get a lot of numbers, a lot of analytics on things. I'd love to transition this conversation and talk about some of the barriers that are holding people back. Let's say that I'm one of those the listeners, one of those people that's saying I want to move to self employment. What do you find that's usually holding people back?
1: that's it's another great question what's interesting too just to i guess sort of call out those large numbers i said you know more than 20 million people uh you know are saying that they want to switch and then you know we since we've been doing this for multiple years now we can kind of look back and say well how many actually did right <laughs> and um you know it's somewhere around you know one or two out of ten actually you know make the leap and so then that makes us really curious too to say okay well if you really want this and you, you know and you want it for all these reasons that you told us um you know what w- why don't why don't you do it um and uh and that's exactly where we kind of walked down this path of barriers. We split it up by what we would call hard barriers and soft barriers. It's a little bit of our own definition of it, but I'll certainly walk through some of those. The hard barriers that we saw were the things where people knew for a fact um that they didn't have the, the money to to get started in what they wanted to do, or they didn't have the the training. They weren't, you know, they didn't have the right skill set. Um, or even something like um they were um they couldn't really see a way where they can give up their current health benefits and so those felt like really sort of hard barriers you know at the end of the day if you don't if you don't have the money you know you got to save until you're ready if you don't have the training well you got to take a night class or a weekend class something like that and um the health one you know that's going to be a little bit harder to solve but the point is it's still uh you know a physical sort of hard barrier and we found anywhere from um i would say um one out of four or one out of five cited one of those three reasons I just, I just mentioned. Um, and so that, you know, you know, you add that up, that could be, you know, that could be half the people right there. But, um, the idea is that there are some, there's some real ones there. And so I definitely don't want to downplay. Those are real things, especially, um, you know, saving on the side can, you know, can be a challenge and, um, you know, figuring out how to get the training and, you know, it just takes time, right? Especially if you're holding down a regular job in, 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 in the meantime. So, so those are, you know, real things there. And then uh, what was interesting too, is we uncovered what we thought were what we would call more soft barriers. Um, and I think these ones um, are really exciting because I think these are the kinds of things that Change over time in, in a culture or in a group of people who, as, as self employment becomes more widespread and known. Um, the largest one we saw in the soft one was just the worry about inconsistent income. Um, and frankly, it's, it's not like it's, a, it, it's the wrong worry, I think it's actually accurate. It's something that I refer to often as lumpy income. When I speak to a lot of people who work for themselves, um, it's a real challenge to get an understanding of the, the, the you know, sort of the, the ebb and flow of their income when they're self employed because it's not a paycheck. Um, that's the same amount in their bank account every two weeks or at the end of every month or that sort of thing. And so it it, it, it does happen to be pretty lumpy, especially if it's a seasonal business. Um, and a lot of employers smooth that out for folks. You know, I think even, um, you know, I know some teachers who rather than just get paid for the nine months of the year that they work, they split it out so they get paid even 12 months a year. Um, and, and mostly the only reason I can see why they would do that is for peace of mind. Otherwise, you know, you know financially, you'd rather have your money sooner than later. Uh, so to speak. So it seems like, um, anyhow, that's a, a real barrier out there is this worry about in, inconsistent income, how you're going to make that work. Um, and so, you know, three or four out of 10 are citing that as a, a real concern. And so I think um, that it's solvable, though, which is, uh, you know, which is a promising thing. And then and then some of the others that we see that are in that neighborhood of, uh, you know, one out of four or so, um, just um, concerned about earning less. So not quite seeing a path to, okay, I'm making, you know, this is often could be someone who's been in a traditional job for say 10 years or more than five years something like that, they've, they've, they've gotten to a point where they're fairly comfortable. And so making the switch can seem like, Oh, I really don't know if I can, if I can earn more. Um, some is just a feeling that they don't right have the right business plan in place. And so, um, a business plan is a tangible thing, but I think, um, the reason I call it softer is cause it's more of a, a confidence thing in, in a lot of ways, um, some feel like they really want to make the leap, but don't know exactly what they want to do. And then lastly, there's a group that says, you know what, I'm, I'm still pretty loyal to my company. Like I want to do it, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to, you know, tell my boss or tell my employer that, that I'm leaving. Um, and so, um, anyhow, if I add all those up, those hard barriers and soft berries, that starts to, you know, explain to me why, um, you know, tens of millions, you know, may be interested, but not quite ready to pull the trigger, uh, because right. there's a lot of unknowns out there, um. And I think, you know, um, it, it just, it, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it, you know, there's some fear there. Um, there's great opportunity, but you know, there's also, um, you know, that opportunity cost anytime you're, you know, it's interesting. It's just change, change in general. Anytime you're leaving something, it's a bit of a loss. And so it's not so much that, um, they're not interested in that, that other world, but it's sometimes giving up what you have can, can be a challenge.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree. So these are the hard barriers and soft barriers. And, and really even the hard barriers you mentioned, those are, you can overcome those as well. They're possible to overcome because you can get your own health benefits. Uh, the cash side is probably the most difficult, right? For people to, to start savings, a separate account or something like that. Uh, there, There are things that
1: you can still do to overcome those hard barriers. I, I agree, um, and so I, that's sort of why I led a little bit. with It's it's hard to split it up. We're just trying to make sense of it, so it doesn't come across as a list of like ten things, so to speak. But yeah, right. You know, but I think you're right. I think harder is more of just you know you can have a plan in place and get around it. The other one is more maybe one way to think of it is one's kind of what we call the, I mean, the hard barrier or something more tangible, and then the soft barrier is something more um, psychological or mental. Um, and if you can get your you know get yourself to a place where you should feel comfortable. Um, you know, embracing it, then, then, you know, then, then, then um, you can make that leap a little bit more confidently.
0: Right. And just in my experience, I don't have the data that you have, but I have found that the soft barriers are actually hold more people back than even the hard barriers. Some people are willing to take that form of risk, but they're not willing to stretch their minds a little further or think bigger for themselves. Uh, or for the business plan that they
1: have. Yeah. You know what? I mean, I think uh, by the way, I couldn't, I couldn't argue with that at all. I think it's funny. It's funny. You're right. I think I, I, not funny in the sense of, um, you know, comical, but just funny in the right. sense of a bit ironic because I think, you know, sometimes in, in lots of ways in life, you know, it mentally is what, what, what holds you back more than, more than other things, you know, I mean, you gotta, um, you gotta first commit to yourself that you can do it and you want to do it and you're going to take the risk. And then, you know, you can kind of start to solve those other pieces um, one by one. I mean, the other thing that comes out of our study that just to, you know, just to sort of highlight that in some ways is when we've studied the other part of the group, the people who are already self-employed, the ones that have made the leap, and if they're sustaining and they, they found a way to make a sustainable income on their own, we ask them if they're interested in going back. And it's, it's always been over 90% say, no way, like, I have, wow. I have no interest in ever going back to this, this traditional job. And so I think, you know, part of it is they've solved these barriers. And the other part is once you, you know, once you kind of make it to the other side and then you you, you kind of feel that career independence and you feel like you've accomplished something and you built something of your own, um, you know, certainly it feels like that's quite uh, rewarding and uh, worthwhile. And so that's also why I get excited about doing this kind of work and understanding this kind of thing, because it sounds like for the, you know, if we can, if we can, play a role in helping people, you know, achieve that, that control over their careers and their lives and everything else, um, you know, then we're, we're certainly, you know, helping, um, helping lots of people out there. So um, anyhow, just the, the, the finer point there is just, um, it feels like um, if you can get past that mental piece and you get to the other side, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's really rewarding.
0: Yeah. So 90% are staying on that side. So you're saying the grass is greener for 90% of people, right? Yeah,
1: yes, that's right. It's like, yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, occasionally we will certainly see somebody that says, you know what, I've just, it's just, I've struggled so much. I'm now going to go back and get a get a regular job and just not have to worry about, um, you know, it's just back to this idea of when, once you work for yourself, you got to wear every hat in that business. And that's why another reason I just admire a lot of people that, out and do it for themselves because they become the salesman they become the operational person they become the finance person they they really have to make the whole thing work um but um you know for the most part yeah it's it's overwhelmingly uh you know rewarding for those folks and you know some may pull the plug at, at times but yeah but anyway exactly 90 percent are just like this is the way to live my life right and so when you see people feeling that way um you know it, it's it's contagious
0: Creating a Brand just launched something new for you. We released 15 online courses on our website, six of which are free and require no registration. Our courses cover a wide range of topics from blogging, to podcasting, winning at networking, personal development, and so much more. Ultimately, each course is designed to help you succeed while saving you time and money. I want to challenge you to enroll in one of these courses today. Please visit creatingabrand.com slash courses to get started. In addition, if you enroll in one of our premium courses, you'll receive free access to all current and future courses, plus a membership to the Creating a Brand community where you can connect directly with me and with other entrepreneurs. If you're ready to take the next step in your life or in business, please visit creatingabrand.com courses and enroll today. As we continue to move through this conversation, I'm wondering, have you found similarities in the mindsets or even behaviors of the people who are thriving as self-employed
1: entrepreneurs? Yeah. You know what? That's a great question. I don't know if I have a strong answer on the, on the mindset piece, um, that, you know, is the kind of person that's ultimately going to thrive because in some ways it's self-selecting, right? I mean, if you don't even make the, if you never make the leap, then you never really become person that either made it or didn't, you just never, you never tried sort of thing. So True. Um, it's interesting that, um, in, you know, in some ways I think that would be a fascinating thing to look at one that I could comment on, you know, based on our data, which, which I found was, um, this is more on the financial side because we happen to help with, with billing and accounting. And so we look into some of the behaviors that people take on and, um, we, 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 we know based on the data that we have, if the, if a business is thriving, we can look at its income, we can look at its growth, we can look at, um, um, you know, the number of clients that they have, et cetera. Um, so, so we kind of have a pool of, you know, some that are just getting by, some that are, you know, roughly break even, and some that are, um, you know, just, uh, be wildly successful as, as self-employed, you know, folks. And one of the things we did is said, uh, we asked people, um, a series of financial tasks that they either do or they don't do. Um, and we found a strong correlation that there only, i um, i trying to explain this properly, but only um, one out of four, let's call it 25% of people who are self-employed only um, one out of four do all seven of a particular set of financial habits. Um, and those that do those seven are head and shoulders above everyone else. So that, that's the strong correlation there that if you're doing these seven, you, 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 you know, you're going to outperform your peers, um, and uh, I, I can certainly sh- share um, sh- share some of those, um, and, and I can do it sort of uh, so quickly, and then we can go deeper if we if if we yeah, want. And, um, but the idea is, it's not as though any of them are uh, that hard in and of themselves. It's just a lot of people are only doing three of them, or only doing five of them, um, and and that's where we saw that there's a big you know positive gap if you can if you do all seven. And so, just to kind of cover those quickly, one is if you have a way that you regularly review your finances, as opposed to shoving them to the side or or not having an understanding of them. Um, Number two is around having a budget. So this is just in any given month or any given year, you know, if you're over earning or overspending, because you've just planned it out a bit in advance. Uh, Number three is that you have a, um, a process where you, you save money for taxes, you know, this idea that when you have a regular job, obviously, you know your employer is helping you do that. They pull the money out before they even put it in your bank account. When you're self-employed, it's kind of the opposite. Everybody puts the money in your bank account, and then you, you know you got to figure it out. And so, if you don't if you don't set aside the thirty percent, what you know, worst case I've seen when talking to folks is you know um, it comes tax time, and you've spent you know more than you should, and now you got to take out a line of credit in order to pay your taxes. And anyway, that's a very cyclical uh, type of thing that just kind of spins um, you know spins out of control sometimes. Uh number four is just um, proactively reducing debt. Taking on debt is, you know, is fine. But, but, you know, for a long period of time, and if you're not proactively reducing it, particularly if you've got a bunch on credit cards with those high interest rates, I mean, that can be really, really damaging. I mean, obviously, you know, you got to take a risk sometimes to put some costs on a credit card. So I can't fault that. But if you're not proactively reducing debt; that can be, um, you know, a tough, a tough one. Um, number five is just having some way that you pay yourself out of earnings, so you have some idea of your own salary. Uh, there's lots of different ways I've seen that happen. Like one, for instance, is all the money comes into one account, and then you pay yourself out of that one. A different one is um, effectively, um, I guess, all the money comes into the account, and you you push money out for different things, and then what's left over is yours. Um, so there's anyway different ways to manage that that concept, but. But it's the idea of um, not, I mean, it's hard in this world, in in this, you know, self-employed kind of, a lot of times the person and the business is one and the same, right? I mean, it makes sense, um, particularly early on. And so a lot of things become intermingled, like the, you know, you may be running the business out of your personal bank account, or you may be, um, you know, using the same credit card for a bunch of personal and business stuff. And so um, anyhow, having a way to pay yourself so you know what you've made versus just it being you know, an unclear number in a bank account, you know, is is, by the way, one of the, one of the practices, um, number six was, um, establishing a specific uh, structure for your business. And so this is this idea of, do you want to be a sole prop or, uh, some kind of, uh, partnership, or do you want to be incorporated? I think we've seen somewhere around 50% of businesses, um, are being incorporated these days. Um, uh, uh, and, um, you know, there's pros and cons to all those, it's just a matter of, you know, are you purposely picking the structure that's best, uh, for you? And, and by the way, you probably need help to do that. So it's not like you're going to look up, you know, it's not like you're going to Google, which is best for me and figure it out in 10 minutes. I think, um, it's a harder thing, but the point is, you know, are you actively uh, picking the structure that's best for you? And then, and, and then, and then finally that number seven is, um, is, is there a, um, a process or an activity that you do to maximize your, your write-offs and your de- deductions for tax time. Um, you know, it can be something as simple as mileage tracking or uh, other types of, you know, luckily there's lots of software out there that can help with this, but the the punchline really at the end of the day is if you're not doing it, you know, your competitors, you know, probably are. Uh, and so you're sort mm. of, you're sort of at a disadvantage there. And, if, and also if you can't reduce your taxable income, you're just going to be giving the government more money than, than you need to. Um, and so, you know, sometimes people feel like, Oh, I don't want to, you know, it feels this feels a little awkward to try to you know um, do you know to to, to maximize these things, um, but but really it's in your best interest, and um, you know it, it's just it, it, it's troublesome sometimes because the, the the tax rules and um, the tax uh, book, so to speak, is so is so complicated. But um, but it's worth it, you know, for for the sake of your business and the sake of your livelihood to to find a way to maximize it. So anyhow, I know I kind of rushed through those, but that's that was one of the things that w- that we saw. Certainly, if you're doing all seven of those. Um, you're sort of a, you know, a standard deviation above the, the, the rest, so to speak, in terms of your, your outcomes. And so um, the ability to embrace those embrace those in some way is, is really um, a positive indicator for your, the way that you can sustain your career independence.
0: That's extremely valuable information. These seven financial disciplines, as I'm going to call them, is something that, that if, if we can incorporate into our businesses, especially when we're starting in self-employment, it's going to be so helpful. So, uh, Matt, thank you for sharing that. really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And
1: if I can, just one thing I just want to add on there, just just to try to yeah. sometimes um, break it down into layman's terms a little bit. You know, I think that the, the second one I mentioned was this idea of having a budget. I just want to, you know, mention for, for, for you and, and, and your listeners that, um, a budget is kind of a scary term. Sometimes, um, you know, if you're right. not coming from a financial space, it sounds like, Oh man, like <laughs> the last thing I want to do is have a budget. Yeah, so, right. so I, and by the way, I get, I get that. And so I just want it, Maybe if I put a little bit of color on that one, um, a budget in my mind, um, is really just having some targets around, uh, your, 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 your outcomes, both from, you know, revenue and expenses. And it could be something as simple as, you know, you know that you want to build up to have X number of clients, And that's what you're targeting yourself towards, you know, by, by the end of the year, by the end of the month. And so if you, you know, you, if you know, you need to bring on three clients before the next, uh, you know, the, the, the end of, uh, the, the end of the quarter or something like that, that in a way is working towards a budget. So it's really just, I just, um, would say it's not, um, a super fancy spreadsheet or anything of that nature. It's mostly just, it's mostly just having targets in place that you can hold yourself accountable to that's, that's the whole concept of budgeting. And so anyway, my, my only reason for doubling down on that stuff is, um, this whole financial, I think you, you call them, uh, what would you disciplines. Call them? financial yeah. disciplines. Yeah. I, I do think there's, um, there's a way to get going on this stuff that doesn't feel like you got to learn accounting or, or anything of that nature. It's just, um, you know, it's just ways to understand your business. Um, ultimately that's, that's going to pay off for you in the long run.
0: Absolutely. I love how you started off talking about a budget, which is just having a target around your outcomes. I think that's a brilliant way to say it. And it's it's important. It's just, a, again, a discipline for me. It's not necessarily I'm learning accounting. It's just something that you need to do when you're self-employed to really just uh, kind of keep things to the next level, right? To really keep accountability for yourself even. Um, right. so I'm glad you mentioned that. So with the last bit of our time here, I want to make sure we kind of talk about some other ways that we can de-risk the move to self-employment because I believe that that's something that scares people. What are some things that you found in individuals that do this successfully?
1: Yeah, it's another great, another great topic to get into. I think um, I, I'll try to hit a couple of these that I've that I, um, spoken with a lot of people that have made the switch and some of the things that help. So certainly one big area is this whole concept out there of the side hustle. Um, you know, it's just to, I guess, put my own bias out there. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a permanent thing. It's a temporary thing. No, nobody gets into a side hustle typically, or thinks about self-employment because they think to themselves, oh, I'd love to have two jobs. So it's got to be, it's got to <laughs> be, tem- it's got to be temporary, but the idea is to test your ability to do the work, ensure that you actually like it. Um, and that, you know, you, you, you want to continue on that path. So it's just a way of, of de-risking. If you can take a client on the side, um, and test out your model, test out your ability to drive value, see if they're going to refer you to another client. You know, this idea of a side hustle is certainly uh, growing. And, you know, it, I, I think sometimes, you know, people may think it, it's easier to set up if you're just, you know, creating like an e-commerce store or something like that, and you just have it on the side. But I you know people that, you know, do more, even, um, you know, so let's say an email marketer or something like that, take a client on the side, test it out, see how much, um you you know you you enjoy doing that work or um you know how much value you think you find in the one those one-to-one relationships because ultimately it's just gonna be a different a different way of working than 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 if you have a, a nine to five. So um anyhow the, the side hustle can be um a, a really great way to de-risk. Um another one on the switch um is uh that comes up a lot is this idea of pricing. Um you know, this is a tough one. Back to this idea of uh, once you're working for yourself, you kind of wear all the hats. Being a pricing expert is is certainly not the is not the reason anyone's trying to work for themselves. And so that's right. the theme theme there is that you get stuck. You know, you get stuck doing all these things. And and um, you know, like at FreshBooks, for instance, you know, we have multiple people running models and thinking about how to price. You know, and you're not gonna. Have the time or the or the resources really to, to to do that when you're just you know starting out? But but I think there's some best practices out there that people can use when you think about pricing that de-risks the move. Um, one is to think about you know whether you're getting paid upon delivery of everything you do, or if you can pull the money forward in some ways. Uh, it can be simple as you know getting a deposit upfront that's going to you know um, make sure that your client's really committed, or you can do some milestone payments along the way that'll take out some of that lumpiness that that we were talking about um, uh, earlier. But so, so just anyhow, how you price that is, you know, certainly um, can make or break your cash flow. And ultimately, cash flow is kind of, you know, uh, one of those things that you you might lose sleep over if you don't have a a handle on it. And another way to think about the pricing too is, um, you know, out in the world, I feel like um, more and more people are moving to these subscription based models where, you know, you pay a monthly fee, and then you get you, you, you get some type of service or product. I mean, certainly everyone's got an Amazon prime account. So Amazon knows they can rely on your $50 a year, no matter what, yep. um, or Netflix, right. You get the month. I mean, even at FreshBooks, we, we, we do a, a subscription model. And so if you can kind of think of that a little bit in your business too, and, and by the way, some businesses don't, just don't apply themselves to that model, but if it does, um, that's another way of smoothing out and just feeling like you're starting to build up some, consistent income. And so if you have a pricing model where you can understand what somebody would pay you monthly, and then you and then and then you think about um, you know, how much money do I need need to make a month to sustain myself given everything that I need to do, then, you know, easily between, you know, the total amount and what one's going to pay you, you get an idea of how many clients you need. And then that starts to be, you know, your business plan. Hey, can I get to that many clients? And, you know, just kind of thinking that stuff through really um de-risks quite a bit. Um, And I guess that's a good segue to to just say, again, this idea of a business plan, I think is one of these overwhelmingly um, concepts, out, overwhelming concept out there that can mean so many different things, so many different people. And it can feel like it's got to be this 200 page novel. Um, but really, I think it's just thinking things through in advance, which is this this idea of, you know, what are you going to charge? And therefore, how many would you, how many clients would you even need to, to sustain yourself? And then it's a good just check and balance to ask yourself, can I even manage this many clients? And maybe that's what makes you know, realize, oh, if I'm really going to have that many clients, I need to have some staff. And then you start to build out and think through. And so that to me is the the value of the business plan is just you know, being able to, to think through that that um that stuff in advance. Um and then if I can, I'll go one one more in terms of de-risking. And uh one of the things that we've spent a bunch of time asking people about is how do they source clients? And we found that prospecting uh as a as a category is something that people don't love. Um you know, they might. You know, it might be on par with accounting in some ways. Like, oh, I don't want to sell, right? Um, and so um, we ask people well, what works. You know, um, and we found that um, a lot of times, you know, online advertising um, or social media or things like that can really be hit and miss if you don't really know what you're doing. Lots of people feel like they have to do it, but it can be, you know, it can be a challenge to make it work. And so, uh, anyhow, what bubbles to the top there tends to be. Um, Word of mouth and, and client referrals, and so another way to de-risk really is that you know kind of that concept we're talking about before. But find somebody who you already know already to be your first client, and then try to segue that into doing more work for them or having them refer you to somebody else. And I think you know it feels a little bit old-fashioned, but I actually think that's the you know the the least-risk way of build the business as opposed to having this grand idea that you're going to market out to the world and um, and all of a sudden people are going to find you. I think right, you know, I think it when I talk to the people who've been successful, it has started more organically and smaller. And then it grows to something like that over time when you're willing to spend money that way, but, but kind of, you know, turning on your services overnight and, and expecting people are going to be able to find you. It's just hard, right? Cause it's just, everyone's vying for attention out there. And so anyhow, um, you know, de-risking is certainly, um, looking into who you know now. And, and I've even seen some people who have left their employer and, um, their, their former employer becomes their first client, you know, they do similar work to what they were doing, but now they're independent. And so they're, you know, they're still doing a little bit of work for their employer because they've left on good terms. That's another way to de-risk. So it's just right. really, you know, your path to getting a client and the next client, you know, having a real um, way to do that as opposed to just, I'm going to advertise out there, you know? Um, that's another, you know, big, big uh, way to de risk. Love it.
0: I think those are so good, those points. Starting as a side hustle, I think is smart. That's something that I preach, I talk about a lot. And then pricing, understanding your numbers, and then knowing your path to actually getting your ideal client, right? I think those are all really great points. So, Matt, thank you so much for sharing these today. And before we end, I would love to hear just one last piece of wisdom or advice that you may have for somebody saying, I'm getting ready to make this switch. What would you say to them? I'm putting you on the spot with this question.
1: Oh boy. Okay. Well, you know, I, I actually I, I sort of touched on it a little bit, but I think the most underrated skill out there is the ability to sell. And the reason I say that is because there's lots of platforms that allow you to get independent work, and those platforms are great. I think to get you started and to get your feet wet. And so I mentioned Uber, Uber before. There's other platforms if you're doing home services, they'll you know link you up with somebody that needs some work done, um, or there's other uh, platforms that just if you're a freelancer, they'll they'll help you um, they'll help you find work. And I think That's a great way to anyway, get your feet wet. What those platforms generally do over time is they control the customer experience and they control the pricing. And I think if you want to be independent long term, those are the things that you got to have control. You got to own the customer and you got to own the pricing. And that's the way that you're going to build a stronger business um, over time. And so your ability to to have a path to find your target customer, I think, is the the single strongest thing you can do to make sure that you're set up for long term success. Uh, as opposed to relying on a platform or someone else who who ultimately uh, controls you know part of that uh, value chain uh, you know for you and so um, I think anyway the, the the punchline there is just trying to get comfortable with how how are you going to you know go out and get and get clients doesn't mean you got to turn yourself into a salesman but you know what we've seen is that somebody should be spending about twenty percent on average in, in sales and so just think of that as one day a week that you're really spending just generating new business you can do that in a lot of different ways. You know, you can speak at events, you can, you know, you can um, do what we talked about before with word of mouth and referrals and all the rest. But the, the point is, I mean, that's real time, you know, if you think about it like one day a week. So just want to um, encourage folks to spend the right time prospecting or sometimes the top of the funnel dries up. Love
0: it. I think that's so smart. We have to be selling. If we're passionate, what we're doing It needs to come out of our out of our speech. It needs to come out of what we're doing, out of our marketing. Anything we're doing needs to be some form of, of selling. Like you're saying, it doesn't need to always be direct, but maybe 20% of it would be a great place to start. That's great wisdom. It's great motivation for people to get started. So Matt, thank you so much for sharing today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Alex. It was a great conversation. What an inspiring episode. Matt, thank you for sharing your data and insights with us and ultimately helping us de-risk the move to self-employment. Now, as an entrepreneur, I know how important it is to stay informed with what's happening in the economy. I recently read an economic report by Brian Westbury, which he ended with these words, The economy is at an all-time high thanks to entrepreneurs and innovators. If you're an entrepreneur making the move from a traditional job to self-employed, you are an innovator. You are shaping the economy and making this world a better place. And I thank you for that. And I want to remind you that I'm here for you along with many others within the Creating a Brand community. You are always welcome to join. Now, before ending this episode, I want to challenge you with two things. Number one, overcome fear. Don't let the fear of rejection or what people think about your business hold you back. Boldly share what you're creating with the world. And number two, I want you to make sure you're focused on the numbers, but I want you to think about the numbers in the right way. Don't say I want to make $100,000 with this business. Say I want to add $100,000 worth of value to my customers with this business. I believe when you overcome fear and stay focused on the customer first, you will succeed. Matt, thank you again for being a guest and sharing with us today. If you would like show notes from today's episode, visit creatingabrandpodcast.com. As always, thank you for listening and I'll be back with you next week.